Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 145. Today my guest is number 99 in your program, but number one in your hearts, Aaron D. Fintel. How are you, sir? (laughs) Good. Good. I never was number 99, though. I tried. Tried to get it once. Right didn't, didn't happen. Didn't happen, huh? Couldn't, couldn't nope. be that defensive end that you always wanted to be, huh? Well, I was number 90 in a tight end. So oh, there you go. You were 90 and you were a tight like, end? Yeah, yeah. Did, did your coaches understand you were playing football? And that was a, should have been somewhere in the 80s. Well, I wanted, I always wanted a number in the 90s and little podunk Nebraska high school. We didn't have any numbers in the 90s. Yeah. Plus, in high school, I played O-line, so have to be 50 through 79 anyway, and right. I had the opportunity to be number 90, and you can legally be a receiver, tight end, whatever, right? and be in the 90s, so that's what I did. Right, well, hey, there you go. Plus, there was another, like, big white farm boy for Nebraska at the uh, time, yeah. who was a tight end. And he was number 90, so that's where I got that idea. Even though I'm not a Nebraska fan, I was like, hey, there we go. Right. Well, everybody's got to be special in their own way. Isn't that right, Aaron? There you go. There you go. So what's new and exciting, man? What's been going on? Combines, 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 my man. Tis the season, right? Tis the season. Tis the season. Then... Been moving a moving quite a few combines, yeah, on a weekly basis, and they're kind of all over the board, you know. Some some seven eighties, late model S six hundreds, and then ninety seven seventies. Sold a couple more of them today, and just a little bit of everything. Yeah, that's uh, the combine market's really kind of perked up here a little bit you know you take a look around what's going on commodity crisis commodity crisis it is a crisis i guess if you take a look what's been going on in the market here of late but um <laughs> everything's kind of went from 450 down to uh, i think now, today it's somewhere in the in the 14s somewhere so it's uh right uh it's kind of we've lost it's funny how those work man we'll lose We'll lose thirty cents in a week or week and a half or whatever, and then we'll gain back forty, and then we'll lose thirty, and we'll gain back forty. So it's a, kind of a back and forth thing. But with all that being said, combines have have really perked their head up, and you know I don't know that we would have had the the kind of rush that we see right now, but I still feel like we would have sold some used combines, um, especially with uh, the age that we're looking at. So you and I talk about this quite a bit, but. What we're looking at as trade-ins go in, as, start, as trade-ins start to come in, what we're looking at is basically everyone's got the same trade, for lack of a, right. of a really of a better scenario there, right? Everybody's got that 12, 13, 14 combine that's got 1,200 to 2,000 separator hours on it, right? And right. so everyone's kind of trading that same thing in, so the market's getting flooded right now. So take a look 
When you look at the market right now and you look at that bunch of, of machines that's, that are out there, what are your... What are some of your reservations and what are some of your, your high points, I guess, uh, with that group of equipment? Well, what I would say, I, I've been, I've had some action with 14s coming in. Just an absolute slug of 13s. Right. 13s are all over the place, which makes sense because in when corn was $700 a bushel in 2012, they ordered their 13, and everybody still has that 13. <laughs> right, right. That's exactly right. So, what bright points are there with that market? If you get them cheap enough, you can still sell them pretty good. Mm-hmm. The reservations are, can you get them cheap enough so right. you can still <laughs> sell them? Yeah. And for the most part, um, for the most part, they are, you know, guys that have those machines know that they're not going to set the world on fire with, you know, their trade value. Everybody's well aware of that. Listen to the Moving Iron podcast. <laughs> but um, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of reality in the guys' minds that have those and, and, it's you know they kind of they just kind of are what they are without yeah. trying to ramble too much. That's the one thing about those machines is that they've hit that that point in the market where all, all machines eventually hit this point, and there's probably two or three points when they they start to kind of trickle down there. But there's there's that first level when everything kind of becomes worth what it's worth, and it's we're there I think with those machines. Um, if you look at auction value, if you look at uh, retail value, you look at what, what what dealers are doing, what jockeys are doing, there's no real surprises. I mean, obviously at auction you get some of those oddball stuff where something brings more outside of the – way outside of the realm or brings less way less than, than the realm, you know what I mean, than the, than the average machines bring in. But for the most part, when you look out there, you're seeing a pretty consistent flow of machines and a pretty consistent flow of prices. Fair statement? Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, so there's, there's, but my, I think, but we, we're seeing that now. So I have my reservations, and we've talked about this a lot. I have my reservations about towards the end of the year and what that looks like. And, and as more and more of these machines start to fill the pipeline, <clears throat> whether they're combines or tractors or whatever they are, I mean, it's not just a combine problem. When you start looking at everyone's kind of trading the same thing, and it's a tractor problem too, you know, you're starting to see, more of those, but that's a different kind of a problem, right? When you start looking at tractors, I mean, so you you have you can still sell a five thousand, a six thousand, a seven thousand, eight thousand hour tractor, right? There's still buyers for that. There's still oh, yeah. there's still people saying like, yeah, it's perfect what I'm looking for. What I've noticed with these combines is that now that they start looking at lease rates and those kind of things, you're look you're there's some pretty cheap payments out there on some combines, especially if you're looking to either a maybe upgrade from a, a fifty or a sixty series up to that that uh, even a seventy series up to that S series combine, or even if you're just looking for that spare combine, there's some pretty cheap stuff out there. I mean. We're looking at payments at anywhere from fifteen thousand to thirty thousand bucks on some of these machines, and oh yeah, you know. So it's you start breaking the numbers down on that. You're looking at fifty, you know, sub fifties up to seventy, eighty bucks an hour. Hell, a lot cheaper than you can rent a machine of similar 
um, thing from your local dealership. So um, I, I just think this oh, absolutely. is absolutely and, and what you know everybody always has the the biggest hurdle to get over with guys is well because there you got your habitual renters right oh yeah. And the whole reason they rent that combine is so they don't have to pay the repair bill. Right. Because typically in a rental, you know, the dealer pays for the, it's part of the rental. But most combine rents are what, 250 plus? Oh, yeah. And for, for sure, 200 plus. Mm-hmm. Now, you have an 80. You're talking you know, dollars per hour, right? Say, yeah, so you're okay. 80 bucks an hour on your lease. Right. You have a hell of a lot of money to throw a couple chains and sprockets on it and an auger and some bearings and shit like that. It don't have to be a $30,000 through the shop every year type deal. It's a lease. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a lease. It's not your, my dad bought this new in 46 and it's never leaving this farm type of deal. It's a lease. It's a machine. You know? Yeah, it's cost per hour. Do it, run it that way. Yeah. That's that's the that's the whole key with them leases. That's why I sold so many lease combines. Everybody's like, "Well, you know the repair bills," and I'm like, "As long as the you know if the auger sharp, the auger sharp, right? You know if yeah. it's got if you can shave with it, probably ought to replace it. Probably, but should, as long yeah. as you know, as long as it's not a absolute rolling wreck, you're good to go, man. Yeah." Yeah, there's a uh, <clears throat> that 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 is one big thing to overcome. But like you said, at eighty bucks an hour or sixty bucks an hour or whatever to run a combine, you're, you you can sit back and take a look at that and make do the math, and it it's way cheaper to lease a combine than it. But the other thing too is, it's not for sale while you're running it. You know what I mean? It's it's yours. Right. It's yours to use till your lease is up. And that's it's, it, yeah, it's your baby for that two, three, four, five years, whatever. Yeah. Plus. From a tax standpoint, that lease payment, although we're bragging about cheap lease payments, that lease payment, you know, yeah. immediately or what is it, full, you can take that whole lease payment off, right? Yeah. Isn't that how that works? Yep. Something like that, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a freaking accountant, yeah. but I know there's something involving that. Yeah, yeah me, <laughs> me either, but it's something along those lines. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, yeah. Disclaimer. Check with your tax professional when, when yeah. you're coming to those things. Aaron Fentel is not an accountant. Please do not listen to him on any accounting-type issues. Yeah. Yep. So, when you look at the stuff that we see happening now with, with the market, it's starting to get hot. So, we're looking at all kinds of stuff. People are calling, wanting to update their equipment, wanting to take a look at the different options that are out there. Um, and shockingly enough... The one machine that everybody just had this this complete love affair with the first quarter of the year is is really starting to dry up, and that's that seventy series combine. You know, I don't. I think it was that that cheaper combine at the time. It was the one that, mm-hmm. that people had. A, you know, there's always there's obviously an, an affection for that machine. Um, you go ask anybody about it. There's a, there's a big affection for that machine, but right now it's there's a. Not that many people knocking down the door to get that seventy series combine like there was, you know, in in March. Dude, there are no people knocking down the door. <laughs> yeah, it's... I got a list of I got a list of nine, and I've only moved three now. Yeah, 
And it has taken everything I can to do that. It is, it's almost infuriating. Right. You know, they went from as long as it's, you know, under 2,500 SEP and, you know, under 80 grand and, man, we'll just, we'll just jump on that and we'll run three of them and, Everybody has, uh, you know, I think the rapture happened because everybody that was all about those combines is no longer on this earth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree with you. That it's, they, I think a, it's a wreck, man. Yeah, well, I think a lot of it too. I is, got, they got, I got, you know, I got nine nine of these combines. Eight of them are under eighty, and only six are under seventy, and it's just like, holy shit. You know, it's yeah. a 22 separator hour combine for like 65,000 and you got to beg and plead and yep. it's insane. Yep. Yep. But I think, but to the, for, to the, to the point of what the markets have done, we didn't really see this movement in the marketplace till here the last, you know, what, two months or whatever it was. And we've really been seeing this, this thing take off and kind of start blazing a path down uh down you know an upward trend back back in march and february it was it was still pretty true we we're gonna have three dollar corn for the next foreseeable future you know and and that 70 series made sense as that backup combine and now well the s series makes makes a little sense or a 680 or something like that starts to really yeah, kind of start you know, making sense funny. yeah since, since that's happened and everybody I love my 9770. I love my 9770. Sure do have a lot of guys calling me to trade off their 9770. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there's... It's gone from, this is the greatest thing John Deere's ever made to everybody that calls has a 9770 to trade. Right, yeah, so... There, there's a... There's, it's just a, a, a shift in, in buying cycle right now, and not to, not to say that there's anything wrong with the 70 series combine because I'm I'm in that they were a great combine camp, but they're also got 2,500 to 5,000 hours on them on their separator now. So now they're, you're really starting to stretch the yeah just the overall. Not only that, thing. but even at their newest, they're eight years old. Right, that's right. And so you go back yeah. from when their first year of production was. That's 11 year old combine. It's hard to believe that, but time flies when you're having fun, right? Mm-hmm. All right, I want to bounce something off you, and and kind of get your you're a you're a, a tractor geek nerd tire guy. So think about this for a minute. Let's say you have a customer out there, and he's debating, kind of kicking the idea around of do I do a? Because uh, I was talking to a good friend of mine out in Illinois, and he was talking about some stuff some guys were doing, and it made sense. What's your thoughts on? The, the RX or the quad track or whatever it is, taking that same horsepower four-wheel drive and putting 1250 tires on it instead of instead of that, those, uh, the four-track system and and making it work that way. Basically, going to have the same footprint. You're going to have the same uh, amount of, of tire on the ground for the most part. I mean, what's your thoughts on that? And do you think that's a viable option when looking at your high horsepower four-wheel drive um, market. You mean like those LSWs? Right. Yeah. Low sidewall stuff. Yeah. Okay. From the tractor geek side of me, uh-huh. I'm not a fan of them. 
I know they are, you know, especially across ag Twitter, they're all their age. Right. And I know you got 1250 there, but when you're, and you know, and I could see it on, I could see it on 8,000 or uh-huh. Magnums right. or, you know, small Steigers, say nine, four seventies on down. Once you get to 500 horse, man, I just can't help but think that you either need them tracks or 800. You know, because if you got two 800s, that's 1650. That's another, that's like taking that LSW and a 480 on the outside of it. Right. Yeah. And another thing that I, I guess I think of it a little bit in truck terms. Okay. All right. With semis, you know, guys like them super singles, they don't they don't run as hot. You know, you're not building up heat between the duels, which can cause a blowout, blah, 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 all that. Right. But there's no limping. Right. If you're flat, you're flat. Right. Now, I personally have had, once upon a time, a flat or a very, very low inner duel on a tractor. Actually, I did it on a pickup, too, so it's apparently a habitual problem of mine. And and didn't know it and ruined the inside tire. So there's that avenue, too. From a production standpoint, I think the... I know the whole approach with those LSWs is the flotation side of it, flotation-traction combination, okay? Mm-hmm. I know people that have them really, really like them. I haven't necessarily heard of anybody that's gone back to duels that has LSWs. I'm sure somebody out there has. Otherwise, there would be more and more and more and more and more. You know, if it was if it was the complete perfect answer for everybody, I think there would be more of them out there. Right now, you know, footprint traction all that they guys that have them seem to like them they stay with them um so it must work my personal opinion i would rather have you know especially when we're talking 500 500 or bigger four-wheel drives okay i would rather have 800 duels than lsw okay and that's just a because you feel like your tractor is going to be better, or your flotation is going to be better, or why? Why do you feel like that? Well, in theory, you know, you, you have way more footprint. You got as much damn footprint as humanly possible. Right. So you got that much more bite, that much more flotation. In theory, I I would bet though with eight hundreds. Because they are so heavy. And typically with 800s on a 500 or bigger tractor, there's a hell of a lot of wheel weight thrown in there, too. Right. And in that sense, you're probably eliminating any benefit of footprint. But you're, everything you're doing that's hurting the footprint flotation avenue, you're boosting the traction avenue. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So... I don't, I don't, I don't know. I guess, I guess from a, I mean, I'm sure it comes down to dollars and cents for everybody. 
for me, I would always pick the 800 duels, but gotcha. that's my opinion, I guess. That's how you roll. Yep. Okay, so... And let's not forget, looks are very important. Oh, absolutely. Of course, yeah. And a 9570R looks a hell of a lot cooler with 800 Firestone duels on it than it does LSWs. R1s, even. Huh? Get some R1s on there. What did you say? Put some R1s on there. That way you got that that full lug look to it. Oh, right. Kind of have that kind of... R1W, you mean. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because R1 is just regular old tractor tire. Right. That's what I meant. Sorry. My bad. Or you can put some R2s on there. Right next to the D2s. Right next to the D2s. You'd be good to go. Champion Champion spade grip. All right, so <clears throat> this is this is a, this is one of those questions. I mean, this traction thing is a big deal, right? So there's so many different ways to to equip tires and those kind of things. So now the next the next challenge you would have then, okay, do you go do you go two track system or do you go quad track system? Now, pros and cons to both, right? Obviously, the the two track system you have ultimate footprint, right? You have whatever that is, eight feet of track on the ground at all times. Um, you've got your flotation issues and those kind of things are all, you know, you can debate back and forth on compaction and those kind of things, but um, <clears throat> what that looks like. But, you know, you obviously have the berming issue when you turn and those kind of things, and um, you can't really beat the the auto track with a two-track system, right? You've got two, two sides kind of working. You don't have to worry about articulation or anything like that. So when you are... Um, Looking at those two systems, the RX quad track, four track system, or you have the classic two track system. What's your what's your preference there? Okay, you're going to lose a lot of listeners <coughs> on this because all the all the quad track boys are going to lose their freaking minds. Okay. okay, all right. I think I'm willing to take that the chance. Two- <laughs> <laughs> the two track system. That's it was what it was invented first, and it was not green in color, as we all know, especially you know. I know. Okay, yes. it worked. It worked fantastic. Mm-hmm. Back to the old nineteen twenties Caterpillar. They were two tracks. Right. They weren't four tracks. Right. There was two tracks. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fantastic traction efficiency. Okay. All the way up to 86 when a two-track ag tractor comes out with rubber tracks mm-hmm. into the 2000s, late 90s, 2000s, when they become more prevalent in the world. I think there, there are some disadvantages to two-track, but I am an absolute unshakable fan of two-track over four-track any day, okay? Okay. I have heard plenty from guys that have run both and say that the ride, and I'm talking, when I'm talking two-track versus four-track, I'm talking about both colors of four-track, okay? Okay. The ride in the four-track is not any better. The handling is different, not necessarily better. 
there's a little bit of a learning curve to running a two track, whereas a four track there is not. Right. The only benefit that I can honestly say a four track has over a two track is navigation in mud. Okay. Okay. If you drive into a swallow with that, or a slew, not a swallow, a slew with that two track, uh-huh. you better probably grab the cable because you probably might not get out. Right. And that's a very, very technical term, probably <clears throat> might not. Right. Just so you know, you might want to write that down. I got it written down. Whereas with a four track, you can navigate in mud very, very good. Usually, I have seen plenty of four tracks buried. Right. And I've seen two tracks buried. Two track, you have far, far less maintenance costs. Your pulling ability is equal, I would say. Flotation is probably honestly equal, not necessarily better. And, you know, I think you kind of hinted that the two track is has more flotation, which it has a hell of a lot, but by the time you take four of those tracks, you know, and width and length and all that, you still got a hell of a lot of square inches on the ground. Right. And ultimately, the price difference, say on green, with two versus four, holy shit, buddy. <laughs> oh yeah, there there is a there is a price difference there, and that's and that's the thing about whether it's case deer, even versatile with their delta track or whatever it is. There's a significant pricing jump in in price between those two machines. So now that leads me to the next question I have. Let's assume that you have these these articulated tractors or, or four wheel drive frame tractors um, equipped the same three point PTO, big pump, so on and so forth. Everything about them is exactly the same except for their drive systems. So when you look at wheeled versus two-track versus quad-track or four-track or delta-track or whatever you want to look at, which one of those machines do you feel like has bang for its buck, right? I'm not talking dollars and cents. I'm just talking bang for its buck has the best resale value. Best resale value? Mm-hmm. As a percentage of new or however you want to measure it, but not not dollars and cents, but, I mean, as a... You know, I'm getting the most out of my money when I buy this machine. Okay. If you're talking about a completely, completely, completely loaded up rig, high flow, you know, high flow leather LEDs, three point and PTO. Refrigerator. Yep, refrigerator. I knew that was going to come. Huh. I was going to point that out that you did not mention that at first if you, if you didn't just bring it to the table, man. <laughs> I think for what you are buying it at new, to what you get back, I think two-track is your best return. Okay. And I say this because there are pockets of this world where they absolutely love, adore, and worship nine RTs with three-point. Right. There are a hell of a lot more areas in the world where they probably would rather order an 8R without three-point because they just don't use it. Mm -hmm. But... In personal experience, a 9RT three-point PTO is a very quick mover. I would agree with that. A 9R with three-point and PTO 
isn't any better of a mover than a 9R with PTO. Okay. I agree. And a 9RX, I will tell you right now, we have one, and it is a wonderful, perfect tractor, and it's not not a bad price. But and it it has everything. It's your perfect example of this, and mm-hmm. yes, it has the refrigerator. Awesome. Okay. But Good. it's a four hundred thousand dollars used tractor. Well, yeah. You know, granted, it was seven hundred new or whatever, <laughs> but right, it is hard. It's it's hard to do. Just right. like so many seven eighties. You know, mm-hmm. I got seven eighties on on Twitter that everybody's talking about and inquiring about and sold a couple. And that's everybody's thing on that. I was working on a guy on three of them. And he goes, ah, they're, just, they're just too high. And I said, what do you mean they're too high? Where did you find somebody that has cheaper 780s than that? He goes, no, no, no. He goes, I don't mean that. He goes, he goes they're a smoking deal for what they are, but they're still 295 You know? Right. Yeah. It's, it's that scenario. And unfortunately, with what the new keeps doing, we're... That's that's probably what scares me more than numbers of machine or any of that is just that freaking four hundred thousand dollars used equipment like WTF man. Yeah, <clears throat> no, that's that's a good point. I mean, that's that's the biggest fear. We've talked about the price of used equipment for, I mean, just the overall price of used equipment, not necessarily any particular model or anything like that, but just the price of used equipment in general is getting to the point now where it's the same guy that's going to buy a lot of this one-year-old, two-year-old stuff that actually qualifies for those kind of loans probably also could buy the new one too. You know what I mean? So it's... Right, that's exactly right. And that's... So now you start running some stuff, but now what you start... But what I've started seeing as a trend line that I'm starting to kind of pay attention to and, and look at and kind of watch is the number of of bigger operators... That, that do these these big deals, you know, and they're they're got, you know, eight six to eight, ten million dollars worth of equipment, those kind of things. How many of those guys are building a stable of older equipment that is their fallback equipment? Or they're, you know what, we picked up another quarter over here. I'll run this combine on that quarter, or, you know, my my one of my newer combines is whatever. I'm gonna go get this other combine and, and put it out. Or, you know what, storm's coming, get the combine out, you know, or or we're gonna throw an extra older tractor in and maybe be a, a tillage tractor, something like that. You're starting to see kind of more of that kind of take place where they're building those those kind of stable of of slightly used machines that aren't gonna get the same number of hours that they're that they're big roll tractors are gonna get, but they're also but they're not designed to do that. They're just to kind of fill a gap when they need to. Well, and not yeah, just like you said, there you're going to have you know our our base of operations is fifteen thousand, and we bought that two thousand over there, so we'll buy a fifteen F six eighty, and it'll hang out over there, right? And that crew will do that patch while everybody else is over here, yep. setting the world on fire with seven nineties yep. at the at the home at the base of operations, <laughs> right? There, there's enough. They're growing fast enough every year. Some of these guys are that they're not just fast enough to be to kind of outpace what they have, but not really to the point where they need to go out and buy a brand new another another brand new whatever it is that they're that they're adding, right? Whether it be a four wheel drive or whatever else. A lot of guys too. You're starting to see with the size of planters. You know, we always we all 
had this idea that with high-speed planter technology that there was going to be um, smaller, faster planters running around out there, but it, it that's not true. They've stayed the same size. They just want to go faster, right? And, right. And, you know, this year is, is one of those years that would have been great to have, a you know, a 250-row planter that you could pull at 10 miles an hour just with the way things were, you know. I mean, it would just right. doing stuff like that. But what you're seeing now is the, the not only – the, the horsepower demand to run that planter, but you're also looking at the hydraulic demands to run not just planters, but these 60 foot air seeders and 650 bushel carts and stuff like that. I mean, that's where you start running into. It's not just horsepower as anymore, but it's also the hydraulics, and that's getting to be a bigger deal as well. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So there's and with everything, okay. Like let's look at oh. Real quick, I think we got off topic. Hmm. So if I was to rank your biggest return on fully loaded every option in the book on those 9,000, mm-hmm. 9RT, 9R, 9RX. Gotcha. Okay. And I'd agree with that. From what you buy at new, yeah. back, I think that's where that falls. And I think that's probably the same across the board, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, on the manufacturers that don't have a two-track system, I mean, obviously I feel like the wheel tractor market holds their value better than the two-track system or the four-track system does. I think that's a pretty safe yeah. bet. Pretty yeah. safe bet. I'm sure some case guys will chime in here and tell me I'm full of shit, but from what I see out there, it feels that way. Right. <clears throat> so anyway, okay. Well, it's not like we just started this business yesterday so no, that's that's true that's true so but yeah that's why that the contract guys are probably gonna have a leash on me but is what it is right now yeah. back to the horsepower and hydraulics and all that and take a look at high speed tillage which is all the rage right whether it's sweeping the nation yes whether it's the land the deer or Degelman pro till right I've sold some of them Degelman Pro Tills to guys, and it takes 500 horsepower, unless you're perfectly flat ground, and you're just going to tickle with it. It takes 500 horsepower to pull a 30-footer. Right. And that's the other thing, okay? So people are pulling things. You look at that PC equipment and go, well, hell, 350 horse. That'll pull that. It certainly will at four mile an hour. Right. You're supposed to pull at ten. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just like just like the air seeders and shit. Well, we pulled a we pulled a sixty foot air seeder for years. Yes, you did. With a two hundred and you know, two hundred and seventy bushel cart. Yep, you did. You pulled it for years. Now and that was some old, you know, like an old flex coil hose seeder or something. Mm-hmm. Now, you've got this other unit that's still 60 foot, but you're pulling it 8 mile an hour and you have an 800 bushel cart and you have, you're putting this and this and this and this and all this shit with it. So, you're, you know, you're getting more done, you're more efficient and all that, but you can't just look at, well, we've always pulled this size with this power because, yeah. The weight 
the very weight of machines right. that we're pulling is at getting just more and more and more, right. which is good. I mean, they're using steel to do that. Yeah. So that ain't hurting a thing. But the the weight of the machines and the speed at which guys are pulling them now, that is that's the kicker. Right. You know, you could you could pull a twenty four row planter. I know guys do it all the time, eight two ninety five, eight three ten. Right. That is not gonna do an exact emerge twenty four row. No. It might if if you're one of those guys and I've I've sold sold a couple of those exact emerged to guys. And I've said this before on the Moving Iron podcast. They don't want to go ten mile an hour. They want to go seven and have it be perfect. Right. You know? And there's guys like that out there. Mm-hmm. And I also know those same guys send me pictures of them planting at eight and a half or nine mile an hour because by God we can. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Be like, I just like the Corvette in case I need to go 100. I'm just going to go 60. Right. Yeah. You bet. Yeah, I used to do the same thing with the riding lawnmower Grandpa had. It was, you know, keep the throttle at half and go out and mow like that. And then as soon as he went inside, I'd crank that sucker up. <laughs> you know, I was going, I was going full tilt. He said, "That sure sounded an awful lot louder than I, when I drive." I was like, "I don't know what happened, Grandpa. I was just, just mowing, doing doing circles out there." <laughs> what are what are all these skips for? <laughs> I don't blade must suck. I don't know. Oh, maybe sharpen the blades. I don't know. I'm just doing what you get told you, me to. Get you a Dixie chopper. Hang yeah, on, son. Get you that that dual motor Dixie chopper and get some. <laughs> uh, no deal. Well, what else is on on the uh, on the mind of Aaron Fennel here? Well, I don't know. The worldwide headquarters of Open Skies Farms. So That's right. How is the uh, how is the sheep business? It's good. It's good. No, nah, I take that back. It sucks. It's awful. Yeah. But you love it, so you do it. That's what I always say. It's a really, it's a really stupid damn hobby to have, but it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what I'd say too. <laughs> <clears throat> Well, just just running some, we're on some combine deals and then actually a couple tractor deals. Um, yeah, that's kind of the thing. Outside of combines, what's the next real? What's the next real hot deal out there right now? You have some used planter demand out there. Do anybody looking yeah. at doing something like that? Yeah, you know, I have. I've noticed. I've noticed that the customer base across the country. Excuse me, I had to get a drink. I'm parched. Is well aware of when early order is, and now is also the best time to start picking through used. Right. And I've had quite a few calls in the last couple weeks on guys looking for specific things, as in 24-0 exact emerge. Um, any anything with the letters D and B in it. Right. And those are those are probably the tops. You know, we always get Texas to way southern South Dakota, those four states is always a hot a hot bed for seventeen twenty planters, you right. know, still. Yep. Um so there's a few calls on that. 
you know, guys wanting to wanting to use one, but wanting it as loaded up as we can get. Um, a little bit of action on DR planters, which for Easterners, that is a what am I trying to say here? That's a stack fold with CCS and just a hell of a nice setup, quite honestly. So, you know, you get from, I would say, Highway 81, which becomes, what do they call that, Southern Kansas, 135? Yep. I from there to the Continental <laughs> Divide to the west, that DR is a super, super popular planter. And, you know, guys from that area calling, looking for those. Um so that I'd say that's probably probably the DRs, the DBs, and big exact emerge. That's probably the top three that getting calls on. So when you say DR, are you talking about like that uh, that line of of uh, landowner equipment that you can get like the Rotohog and whatnot? No, no, not not the uh, not the DR trimmer mowers, if you will. It would be. The DR is Deer Orsman. Oh, okay. I'm with you now. Yeah, kind of like DB was Deer Bauer. Right. DR is Deer Orsman, and I think they call it a DR so they didn't have to call it a do. A do, yeah. I want one of those DOs. Yeah. I, I, one time I did have an L110 and a Rotohog and a Dream. But and a Dream. And a Dream, and never, and a dream. <coughs> absolutely. And never, Speaking never of that, eyes. DR, uh-huh. man, they make a lot of shit. They do. They make all kinds of stuff for the uh, for the rural landowner. They have a they have a nice absolutely nice. My favorite thing yep. to have though, bar none, favorite thing they got is the power road grader thing they've got. You seen that? Where it's got a an engine on it. You start it up and it's got a little like I don't know what you call them, but you run across the top. It's like a <clears throat> it's like a box blade, but it's got like a agitator on it, and it tails up the ground kind of sort of and it, yeah and i don't i don't quite understand first of all i know plenty of that that is not gonna have very very good longevity okay right and i don't understand how it's going to be any better than a lot of other things that don't have a motor that you don't have to keep running right. yeah. <laughs> what i want to do is i want to take a a bar of some sort and put like four of those little tiny Honda, like cultivator tiller things on there, like the Mantis. Remember that? And, yeah, yeah. And put those, but mount it backwards, right? So when you're pulling it across, it's fighting against the bar, and you should have one hell of a cultivator then. You know what? That's that's a really damn good idea. That's like a that make that'd be like a sweet organic deal. Yeah. You know, you just have to figure out how to synchronize them all. Well, not really have to synchronize them, but you have to figure out how to make all, all however many row units you have there all, all, all work You'd together. You have to figure out how the hell to keep track of the gas and eight of those actually <laughs> running through the field. <laughs> you just... You know what you could do, though? You just, you just okay, so it's PTO powered. You got a shaft off the tractor into right. a box, right? Right. right. A distribution box <laughs> that has two out the, on each side and then you go down the bar there's another three-way gearbox 
and then a shaft to that tiller. Mm-hmm. And then another three-way gearbox and a shaft to the tiller, just like that. So we just figured it out. I think it's way cooler, though, if you just mount the actual Dylan. you got to pull start every every row unit and get it running. That, yeah, that, that'd be, that would be awesome. And then have a five-gallon bucket or gas tank, you know, up top with like eight different hoses running to it. And then you just let it nurse off that five-gallon bucket until, until you <laughs> run out. Oh, got to slow down, boys. Number eight's down again. Go get some more fuel. Come on. And just bring out the nurse and then, tank. You're, and, then, and then on top of all of that, <clears throat> your favorite thing on earth. What's that? Do that with a, with an automated tractor. Absolutely. And then you're good to go, man. That would well, be the coolest yeah. thing in the yeah. world. Why would you need an operator to be there and watch all that stuff happen? Exactly. That would be the best thing known to man. Until yep. until but think about it. You'd have to start it up in the morning, get out there, start all eight individual row units up, or however many you got, and then just you know go get some. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. The novelty of it by itself is is worth having. Oh, absolutely! It's a life experience, is what it is. Yeah, that's exactly you know right. just like Rogan or Holland Square Bales. It's life experience. Right, and if you had, if you Is had, there other to, ways to do it. Well, certainly, but you don't get the same life experience. Exactly. So the cool thing though would be to have like a like a twenty five or thirty horsepower tractor. You know, like the rural rural guy, and he's got his garden out there. Mm-hmm. Put the bar, make it be a pull type gimmick, right? Like you'd have to hook it to a three point, but get a three point small dolly to put it on, and then then my friend, you're ready to roll. Boy, that that sounds like you're just adding parts to add parts. Well, you're adding it's the cool level now. You're gonna be able to really, <laughs> you're gonna really be able to get some stuff done. Oh shit! So anyway, well, enough talk about future farm equipment at the rural lifestyle level. Let's uh, let's wrap this sucker up. So, any final thoughts, Aaron, before we shut it down? Boy, I I guess I don't know. Other than I'm just eating, sleeping, living, breathing combine. So if anybody's wanting a combine. You know, get a hold of me. Okay, man. Well, I'll I'll do what I do what I can to make it happen. And if folks wanted to get a hold of you and talk about a combine or any other piece of farm equipment, how would they do that? Do you see how I set that up for you? That, that was, was so handy, good. Huh? Smooth. It was like a soft little sweet pitch right down the middle. I knocked it out of the park. <laughs> my, call me or text me on my cell three zero eight seven six zero eleven ninety three or on the Twitterverse at Aaron Sintel. And there you go. Right on. Well, good deal, man. Well, you can also check me out on Moving Iron uh, LLC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Although I am thinking about getting off the Facebook, I just can't do it anymore. I just it wears me out. So I can't. I can't handle it. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna switch. I'm thinking about dropping it all together and just be on the Twitter and the and the Instagram. So I guess until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to 
like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and GlobalAgNetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving